When I mention the term chief of staff to people, the first reference I usually get is, oh, like in the West Wing. The role of a chief of staff can be found in non-profits, corporations, the military, but the political chief of staff still resonates as one of the most recognisable roles. My guest for the first episode in this series is Sam White. Having previously served as an advisor in the governments of Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, and then spending some years as a senior leader at one of the UK's largest insurance firms, where he earned the nickname from the CEO, the Consigliere, Sam is best known as the chief of staff that helped Keir Starmer turn around the UK Labour Party, the main opposition party in the UK political system. After helping guide the party through to campaign footing, when Sam left the role, he was praised by his boss Keir Starmer for the attributes that chiefs of staff in any organisation would want to be known for. Frank advice, unstinting loyalty, and all his support during challenging times. Today, Sam joins us to draw back the curtain on the chief of staff role in politics, discuss the challenges in rebuilding political momentum, and share the lessons he's learned from his experience in the heart of political leadership. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Ewan. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, I wanted to start by demystifying a bit of the chief of staff role within the government space. A lot of people listening I know will have seen West Wing, they'll have seen the thick of it in the UK, they'll have quite a caricatured view of what it is to be a chief of staff within the political arena. What does the role of the chief of staff look like, especially when you're chief of staff to the leader of the opposition? So um, I, I, I'd say my my favourite fictional chief of staff is probably Leo in the West Wing. That's the that's the one where you know uh, I thought, yeah, that'd be a great job to do. <laughs> um, you know, like the start of Goodfellas when the guy says, "As long as I can remember, I've wanted to be a gangster." You know, Leo was the inspiration, um, but um, uh, a bit less the thick of it. Um, but the, the reality of it in opposition, because I've only chiefed uh, for. Leader of the opposition, um, uh, Labour. I've, I've obviously I've been in government as an advisor in the sort of Blair and Brown governments, but um, you know doing different roles. Um, the reality, I guess, is um, you know you are the sort of main final advisor to the leader. He have plenty of other advisors, plenty of you know great people, uh, experts in their field, um, you know politicians with a view. Um, but so your job is to be. Uh, as Kia said to me right in our first meeting on it, you know, the person who's going to tell me the thing that no one else is going to tell me and the thing I really don't want to hear. Um, and uh, sadly, I did that a lot. Um, and also, like, you're, you're, you're there to just kind of not do everything, and it's important you don't try to do everything, but to um, act as some air traffic control a bit, uh, to kind of keep an eye on the overall use of his time, um, uh, make sure that... It, it, you know, there's infinite demands on uh, the time of, of, of you know, party leaders, um, but you need to be very careful how you use it. You know, uh, diary is strategy um, uh, and oversee that, but also chase delivery. That seems to me a key part of the role as well. We know about your background through Blair, Brown governments, work as an advisor before, um, similarly senior leader within insurance industries as well. When you stepped into the role of chief of staff to secure 
Labour had slightly lost momentum for those that aren't based in the UK or aren't aware of the situation. So you'd lost the Hartlepool by-election. The polls had started to slip. Some of the senior team had left. And at that moment, you decided to step into the chief of staff role. What was it about that moment that made you think, actually, now is the time to step into a chief of staff role with the Labour Party? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a good question, Ewan. Um, I'm a glutton for punishment. No, it uh, uh, I um, it was um, it was a very difficult time. It was um, it, it's funny now looking back on it from we're recording this uh, what, summer 2023, um, and you know there's increasing number of commentators who are you know saying it looks like you know Keir is very solid bet uh, to win the next election. Nothing's obviously in the bag, but like you know, we're sitting comfortably 20 plus points ahead in the polls. It is hard to look back and remember what it felt like in that sort of spring and early summer uh, 2021, uh, where it, it it did feel like we'd got into difficulty. Um, and it, I remember um, speaking to Keir um, and some of the other sort of senior team around that time. Um, and um, Deborah Matteson had gone in as director of strategy and she's a, she's been a very good friend for 20 years. And I remember talking to her about it and saying, look, you know, um, you're going in, Deborah, you know, do you think we can turn this around? And she's saying, yes. And I said, yeah, I, I think we can too. I think it's kind of a narrow path uh, out of this, but I, I have a sense it's doable if we are sort of ruthless, relentless, force the pace of change. Um, and why did I actually want to do it? Um, uh, you know, I, I spoke to Kieran and... I'd had a, I'd spent some time speaking to people and getting a sense of what I thought we needed to do, and I checked we were aligned on it. Checked we actually agreed, because if if we had a different sort of set of working assumptions, and I think this is good advice for chiefs of staff in any uh, environment or organisation, you know, alignment with your boss is is key. And it turned out we were very aligned. You know, we 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 agreed that the biggest risk now was to not take enough risk. And we were going to need to double down on the pace of change if we were going to be in any chance of contention uh, at the next election. Um, so, you know, I was up for that. He was up for that. Um, and as, as, as I sort of joked about before in the earlier answer, I, you know, once I thought I, I, I never want to be an elected politician and, you know, I've got nothing but respect for the elected politicians who put themselves out there and put their selves on the line and the demands on their time and their personal lives and, you know, the, the things they do and do bravely. Um, when I decided that actually that wasn't for me, I didn't want to be a frontline politician. I thought, well, what's the best job for, you know, massive Labour supporter like me, uh, interested in politics, wanting to serve, wanting to help us get back into government. Uh, and I thought, oh, chief of staff to the leader, that is the greatest job. If I ever get the chance to do that one, count me in. So yeah, I, I went in and it just happened to be at a time it was particularly difficult. Uh, but in some ways, you know, that's when you got the chance to make the biggest difference. So yeah, I was delighted and honoured. It's amazing to hear people who want to go into that role. So it's delightful to hear people say, no, actually I picked that role. It looked like the kind of fit for me. And that's really where I wanted to head. Before we dig into some of the lessons learned and some of the experiences you've had in the role that I'm sure people are, are really keen to hear about, I also just wanted to touch on sort of finishing that relationship. So looking ob objectively at the Labour period that you were in, it was about minus 10, I think, before you stepped in to the role of Chief of Staff. And at the point that you left, um, when, when was exactly the point that you left? Uh, November last year. Plus 30 points ahead, right about that point. So yeah, yeah. You, had, you had a real swing of about 40 from negative into positive. You'd had a great relationship with Keir. How did you bring that relationship to a close? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we made huge progress during that time. Um, I, um, I was looking at this the other day for someone asked me where we were exactly. And 
we, there was one poll that put us at 37 points ahead during that period. But I think some of that was froth. Some of that was 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 Liz Truss' contribution. But I think we had done enough to earn a clean kind of 20 plus point lead um, through the changes we'd made over that sort of 18 months. Um, and there are so many people who contribute to that. Um, like, it, it, you know, I'm talking now about my role because we're talking about how the chief of staffs work. But it would be completely meaningless not to contextualize it in how much um, support you have from um, the whole way through, right? I mean, you know, from, from people knocking on doors every weekend, which, you know, I've done and thousands of people I've down the country do, and that is the, the backbone of the Labour Party. You know, the politicians who put themselves on the front line and the staffers, you know, shout out to the staffers who, um, you know, aren't earning, you know, tons of money, are working sometimes, you know, ridiculous seven-day-a-week jobs uh, and make it all come together. But, you know, uh, at the end of the day, the, the, the buck stops with the boss. You know, Keir um, uh, is the leader. Uh, he has to take the difficult decisions. He has to live with the difficult decisions, you know, um, and whatever else anyone else is doing to support him or help him, you know, <laughs> it's his show. The buck stops with him, you know, and, and that is um, so important. And... Um, I, I I was really pleased. I worked with him twice. Actually, I, I did five months in 2020 doing strategy and COVID, and I got to know him really well then. Even though bizarrely we only met face to face once in that five month period, right? You know, I mean, you remember the COVID days? We're all we're all locked in our bedrooms doing um, you know, sort of uh, infinite zooms in pajama bottoms yeah, and stuff, right? Say the same was, joke. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, it, uh, but yeah, I, at that point, I ran his daily um, COVID strategy meetings with the sort of senior shadow cabinet, um, and. It was a very intense time, so I got to know well, and I I really respect him. He is the real deal. He is a public servant, feels it to his core. You know, he's got the right combination of um, wanting to restore kind of effective government, you know, believing in, you know, change you can make, and just the right amount of ruthlessness to do the top job. Without it, I'm, you know, frankly, you know, it's a tough job. You need you need to have that backbone. So um, it was it was you know, uh, I still have a great relationship with him. Um, I'm Keir's now to his third chief of staff in a little over three years. Uh, it's a it's a tough job, um, but Keir is still on excellent terms with you know me and Morgan, his two former chiefs of staff, and I think that speaks volumes for you know, him and the relationships and how he cares about people who've who've been part of his uh, part of his team. And I think there's many other members of his his team who've left who would say the same. Um, but um, it was the right time for me to go in in uh, the end of last year. Um, I had in my head a sort of mental sort of benchmark for about 18 months was probably um, a viable period to do. Um, why 18 months? Uh, because of the scale of the change we needed to make and the pace of it, I realised that to be effective, we needed to move fast, but also we wouldn't have the luxury of taking people with us and move at the pace of the gentlest. Um, uh, I strongly suspected I would put some noses out of joint in moving at the pace I did, and there'd be a point you run out of political capital um, so I thought, right, you know, uh, this this project needs relentlessness for eighteen months, but probably uh, that might not be um, sustainable. And the second reason, family. Uh, my family live in Yorkshire. I've done big political roles for you know, hundred hour weeks for Elsa Darling in the Treasury, and you know, sleeping in the office, even though I don't think I'm allowed to sleep in the Treasury, but I did. Um, and I know what that means. I know what it means when you're like a 30-something with no kids. I now got kids, live in Yorkshire, got a family. I've seen too many marriages break apart through politics. thought that ain't happening to me. Um, so I had a sort of benchmark. Now, I, could, I think I could have done another phase, another, you know, another, one more push on something. But um, uh, it, it was all done when we left in a very friendly, amicable handshake, you know, 
two grown-ups uh, get to a point where um, we decide to move um, on and restructure the organisation and move to a campaigning structure rather than the structure we currently had. Um, and, you know, we got really well. I saw, you know, we were having a text exchange just recently as, uh, last night. So, you know, um, uh, and he's been very keen to say, you know, I've worked for him twice, two projects, two successful projects. Um, you know, he says there'll be a third um, and maybe there will, we'll see. But um, uh, I go away feeling just gratitude and the privilege of having the opportunity to do a role like this. Those that I speak to, whether it be opposition, whether it be in government, whether it be for a smaller party, whether it be even sort of certain elements of local politics as well, that it is this privilege to do the role. So I, I appreciate hearing that from you. You've talked about your great relationship with your leader that you'd worked with. One of the elements of the role that we talk about, whether we're talking about politics, whether we're talking about private sector, whether we're talking about non-profit organisations, whatever space we're talking about, that chief of staff role has this obligation for speaking truth to power. And mm. I think you mentioned IMO, oh, I've done a little bit too much of that. <laughs> but within a political context, you're supporting someone with a clear agenda who's got a vision that they want to execute, in your case, on a national stage. Did you have moments where you had to have those uncomfortable conversations about a strategic direction? And how did you approach them? Uh, yes, um, yeah, many times. And I, 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 I think this is one of the most important elements of the job is being a person who speaks truth to power. And I, as I alluded to before, in, in our first kind of meeting where we were, um, we were checking we were on the same page and I'd written down my sort of seven points or, you know, uh, assumptions about it to make it explicit and to check I was on the right page. And I remember him pausing on number five, which was about, you know, speaking truth to power. He said, yeah, that one, that one, you know, make sure you do that one at all times. Um, and I did. Um, and, you know, it was uncomfortable at times as, as you know, uh, you, you worry that you're the guy who, you know, when you knock on the door, his heart sinks because you're there to say the next uh, un, 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 uncomfortable uh, thing uh, to him. Um, but, you know, I, it was good. And, you know, he's a, he's a grown up and he's, he's you know, you, you're not dealing with someone who's going to throw a shoe, you know, shout uh, shout you out of the room you know like it was it was difficult it was often uncomfortable um i think advice for chiefs of staff who are doing it would be you know pick your moment um you know don't do it right before some very difficult speech or meeting obviously um do it one-to-one -one. um you know you probably know your sort of principal better than most and know, you know, the, the, the way to frame it for Keir. He doesn't, he doesn't need handling. He just needs it straight. So that's what I would do. Um, but, you know, think through before you say it and ask yourself, what specifically am I going to say? What evidence do I have? And why am I saying it? Um, and if you don't have good answers to those questions, you need to think it through before you go and uh, have that very difficult conversation. We've talked as well about the, the success that you had within the space. So in particular, the I want to change projects. This needs to change within the party. The polls are a great way of assessing the, the ins and out of that success. The chief of staff role at large, and, and in particular, it comes to a lot of advisory roles as well. We are acting as a senior advisor or special advisor in, in government or elsewhere. Measuring your success can be really difficult. It's hard when your role might be firefighting, and it's hard at the end of the year to say, okay, what have you delivered? And you say, well, eight fires didn't happen and I helped put them out really quickly. That's a successful period for me. Whereas other people can look to comms or campaigning or, or revenue within the private sector and say, here's an empirical, here's a number that says, started here and it ended here and this is how I contributed to that success. How did you, within that political arena, know you were doing 
a good job? Yeah, I mean, that is a really, really good question. And I bet you it's one that all sorts of advisors and chief of staffs um, struggle with. Um, my view has always been as, as an advisor, you, you know, your job is there to support your um, the person who you work for. Um, and that is the most important thing about your job. Um, so, you know, you don't go around shouting out, me, 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 that was my idea. So um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do any of that at all. Um, uh, I think um, metrics of success. So part of the reason I was a good choice at the time I went in was because I'd done 10 years in politics in sort of Blair Brown and City Hall and 10 years in corporate where, you know, uh, I'd worked for a large insurance company who um, uh, had restructured, you know, about seven times in, you know, just over a decade. Um, and the lay party hadn't restructured for a very long time and was, um, uh, you know, without going into detail, was sort of seven-figure deficit, no war chest to speak of. And there was a, a, a very big job of work to be done by the senior team, um, including me, on um, making sure the Labour Party was financially viable and uh, structured uh, as a way to win a, an election in the sort of 2020s, not a sort of past one. So, um, uh, uh I, with that corporate mindset, which doesn't always work in politics, and I've sometimes seen people come in with purely corporate mindsets and go horribly wrong, but I felt I had 50-50, 10 years of each, you know, I could balance the two. But I took the corporate um, a, a clarity of role and uh, goal setting very seriously. So I would go to Kia every three months with, right, here's what I'm going to achieve in this quarter. I have no more than five objectives. I have specific bullets under each objective about this will happen. And some of them were really easy to measure. Like, I will recruit a first-rate speechwriter in Q1 2022 or something, right? Now, at the end of that, have I done it or have I not done it? Now, um, you know, I worked with my, my, my colleagues in comms on, on that appointment and we had to fundraise and I managed to find a funder to fund that post and all this stuff. But having those things written down and agreed, and as I said before, alignment with your boss about what your expectations are means you can succeed or fail because you've been clear about what you're doing. I'm a huge believer in that. It it lets them hold you to account. It lets yourself hold yourself to account, but also it lets you, you know, be really clear. So the benchmark is not moving over time, either easier or harder. You're saying like, I'm going to do that. And I'm doing that Q1. Um, so, you know, we balanced the books, you know, that was tick done. Um, you know, we, we recruited some really excellent people, strengthened the team, professionalized the team. I had things like, I will have a clear job description for all the senior roles and a list of their um, objectives for each half year by a certain date, you know, delivered, you know, the, these things are not the end state outcomes. They are the sort of building blocks of a more professionalized, higher delivery organization. Uh, and politics is, you know, full of brilliant, passionate people who move at great pace, energy and, and, and um, infatigable sometimes. Um, but we're not uh, naturally lending ourselves to, um, you know, clarity of objectives and goals and and that was something I felt I could bring and that you know people have said was actually very helpful in 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 reshaping the team so you know there were things I could hold myself to account on at the end of the day Keir said all oh, that's very good but if not getting in a better place in the polls what's it all for so that was one of them and we did slowly inch our way forward you know signaling that we were ready for government we were alternative government you know the reshuffle we did in November we put a we put a tough you know, it was a tough re reshuffle. We delivered it well on the day, got everyone into the post we wanted. And I remember reading some of the papers the next day going, you know, 
wow, you know, Labour looks like it's putting its uh, toughest team on the pitch and it looks like it wants to win. And it was that sort of, you know, milestones you could check off um, that took us from where we were to where we, we, we were by the end of last year. It's great to hear you talk about the objective setting as a way to help measure what you can deliver and agreeing that in advance. Because I think there's a lot of people for whom I know in the space won't necessarily have that level of grounding to show that they've done a successful job as a chief of staff. So thank you for sharing. One of the things I did want to touch on was something that's come up in a different podcast that we've recorded with Jumar Johnson, who is the chief of staff to the vice chancellor of the Open University. And that's on the theme of humility. You're in the chief of staff role and naturally you are operating in the background Whilst this might be fun to get involved in some of the different projects to help set directions, to advise, it also comes with the element of humility because you're not getting that recognition. It's not about you. It's about the person that you're supporting. What was your experience of having to be that person operating behind the scenes? Um, I, I was, it's, a, it's, it's, a good, it's a good insight that you feel like anytime you're talking about humility, you feel like you're, you're Donald Trump going, I'm the humblest guy I know. Um, so no, it's, it, look, I, I like, I like being, I like supporting people to deliver their vision. I, you know, I, and, and to strengthen their operation and their team and, 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 you know, tease out what they're trying to achieve. Like that is, I like that. I, I don't, I don't have any problem with, with that. It, what I found funny about this role was you had to both be, you know, the sort of, um, you know, uh, insubstantial sort of background figure uh, half the time, and half the time you had to be a sort of authoritative senior leader in a you know organisation of three four hundred people, um, and you know stand your ground with difficult internal or external stakeholders on behalf of your leader. So you had a funny mix of you know background and foreground. Um, it, it, and 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 flicking between those two modes of operation, um, but that was just one of the things that made the job so so fascinating. You've been an advisor within power. You've also been an advisor in opposition. There's a lot of political transition taking place at the moment and through next year as well. There'll likely be a general election in the UK next year. There is also one for the US. There has been elections in Australia as well over the last couple of years. Having seen both sides, opposition and government, what advice would you give for those in opposition who are, might be aspiring to take on a chief of staff or a chief of staff style role within government? Yeah, so it, it, opposition and government is very different. Uh, campaigning and governing, very different. Um, <clears throat> they, they're different skill sets and... Um, some suit people better than others, but of course, I think you know you 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 can definitely learn, and some people make the transition really well. Um, the, there's a piece of work going on in um, you know sort of t sort of team care on preparation for government. Um, the that that always happens. Every government uh, in in waiting does it. You know whether they've got a really strong chance of winning or not. So it's it's perfectly normal. And there's organisations like the Institute for Government, which is an excellent think tank in the UK. Um, who have as part of their remit to help oppositions make the transition successfully. So there's there's more support than there's ever been. Um, and, you know, uh, my former colleagues, uh, Deputy Chief Staff is, is running this project uh, very well, uh, bringing in all sorts of former permanent secretaries, former secretaries of state, former advisors, and just helping um, those who haven't done it before think think it through. Uh, and, and it happens informally. Last night I was at reception, uh, you know, t Tony Blair Institute, uh, an advisor to one of the sort of senior front bench, you know, 
said said to me, well, you know, like, how did how did you how did you operate as a special advisor in government? What was most of your time spent on? And I started having to say, oh yes, yeah, signing off parliamentary questions and you know reading every brief in a ministerial box and you know and then and then remembered that actually you do end up with two families. You you, you kind of private office government family and your sort of political party family and, and inevitably that pulls you a little bit further away from your political colleagues as you sort of embed in the department and have genuine relationships with the senior civil service and I always advise people to treat the civil service with the respect it deserves it is you know good people um, working hard um, and um, and then reminded them that we used to have a thing on Friday where all the political staff came together um, and it was the political family kind of reuniting and sort of just making sure we we're all still aligned and getting our sort of marching instructors from, you know, you know tough, tough people like John McTurnan or uh, Pat McFadden or others. Reflecting on your time then, you, we know you learned a number of lessons from the role, positive, negative, things that have done well, things that maybe not have done well. All of those lessons I find often culminate in a great set of advice for anyone thinking about stepping into a chief of staff role, whether it's for the first time, whether it's returning to the role after a period of absence. What do you consider to be the set list of advice that you'd give a chief of staff stepping into that role? Yeah, that is that is a great question. And I, I, I assumed would be at the heart of this kind of podcast where you're 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 talking to chief staffs, your 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 audience is chief of staffs. It's not a it's not a political tittle tattle podcast it's 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 a sort of you know how do you do it how do you do a challenging role um so for, for me some of the things i'd say is you know alignment i mentioned you know make sure you're on the same page as your boss um and and i'm a big believer in writing stuff down in fact um not everyone is in politics especially in the world of freedom of information but um uh, i think alice campbell or someone used to always say if it's not written down it's not a strategy and i really believe that because that allows you to get the clarity hold yourself to account make sure there are not any sort of assumptions that you have different to your your principal because you are there as as, as the great jonathan powell who was chief of staff for a long time said um you know you have a constituency of one um you need to make sure you're on the same page as your boss um so alignment clarity writing it down um i think having a personal code is really really important um i felt I felt passionately about this role. Like uh, I'm laboured to the core. This was something that you know I um, was heavily invested in emotionally and and uh, values wise. Um, I, I, I imagine that there's different degrees of that in different roles. But um, a great piece of advice. I think it was. I think it was of all people, Donald Rumsfeld, um, who was not normally a hero of the of the centre left, um, but he was chief staff in the 70s in the White House, and he wrote. Um, uh, like a, a little dossier called Rumsfeld Rules for for Chief of Staff, um, which um, one of them is like, you know, it's like write down the lines you won't cross before you start and keep coming back and checking that. And there'll be a moment where you're either crossing those lines and you think, okay, time for me to call it a day. Or, you know, you, 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 you know, or you, it, it reminds you that actually, you know what, there are some things more important than the job. Uh, so for me, you know, family, um, uh, for me, um, I have very low tolerance for unacceptable behavior, um, uh, you know, behavior and delivery, um, were things that I would not walk past. Um, so, you know, uh, there were things I, 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 I did there. And I guess moving from that Rumsfeld rules thing, there was, you know, learn what you can about the role beforehand. And for me in a political one, it was, you know, you, you look at who else has done similar roles, talk to them. I was, you know, people like Jonathan Powell I mentioned and um, other former chief staffs were kind enough to talk to me. You know, I looked at books like Gavin Barwer, who was chief staff uh, to Theresa May, he's written a book called literally Chief of Staff. Um, great line in there about saying, 
in you know being chief staff number 10 is inevitably stressful but working number 10 needn't be unpleasant which i thought was a very very good uh, way of thinking about the role because you can create a culture um uh culture flows from the top uh, uh you're all going to work under pressure but you can make sure it's not an unpleasant environment to work in and that's very important to me and then the last thing i think this is so important is strategy um and strategy uh is always context dependent it's always about what is the circumstances you're inheriting and a strategy that works in one set will not work in another so you know get intelligence and and i had the good fortune of two months gardening leave between leaving my previous job and taking chief staff up in uh 2021 and um i uh, i was on garden leave so i couldn't start the job but no one could stop me thinking or talking to people and i i i had a deal with my wife that from nine to twelve i would just make calls every day for two months and after that i would be you know doing what i should be doing um and i got to speak to you know f former you know shadow former cabinet ministers you know former great figures of the blair era you know current people in uh, backbench mps shadow cabinet current officials ex-officials people who you know mentors who had helped me in the past like the great amanda mckenzie who i'd worked for in um uh uh, uh and and coaches like guy jim godfrey who'd been a former advisor in blair government who's now a professional coach and gave up his time to sort of professionally coach me through it, which was invaluable. So I want to thank people like that. Um, but I ended up with 67 pages of notes before I started of my analysis of where we were and it allowed me to boil it down into a, a, a strategy, a sort of 18-month plan broken into quarters and sit down with Keir early on, make sure we were aligned and then execute it at relentless pace. Um, and I think without that, it is so easy for you to be pulled into everything and your time eaten up um, on things that feel very important on the day, but aren't moving the project forward. So I, I'll say it again, but I think that's the most important thing. Clarity of the clear analysis of the situation, a strategy and then a plan. I think that will resonate with so many chiefs of staff who step into the role. And we always say time is so valuable. Part of the reason we do this podcast is because we know chiefs of staff are busy. They get very little time to themselves to think about something they want to do, but you can lose track so quickly of what you're doing, whether if, even in a private sector, in a non-profit space, if you've got a CEO, if you've got an executive, if you've got a leader dragging you in different directions, actually without the vision and saying, actually, this is the execution point, this is the end. I mean, go back to the armed forces and as you always, ways, ends, means, how are you going to get there? How do you execute that vision? I think will resonate with a lot of people. So thank you for sharing those. Moving towards now the, the end of this podcast episode, what does the future look like for labour from your perspective now from the outside looking in? So, um, you know, look, it is, it is always unwise to make predictions, particularly in the last sort of decade where everything has kind of flipped all over the place and we've had giant swings and things. But sitting here today, you know, with 20 plus points on the average poll ahead um, and a um, and I'm not here to make sort of cheap political points, but a government that feels like it's run out of a certain amount of energy, um, you know, it, it's, it's a pretty good chance the next prime minister will be Keir. Um, uh, he will inherit if he wins a particularly difficult set of conditions. Um, you know, when Blair won 97, you know, arguably the economy was actually in a pretty good state, but public services were flat out. When David Cameron won in 2010, uh, you know, he inherited a, a very large deficit, um, which could not be ignored, um, you know, in large part due to the global financial crisis, but nevertheless, a difficult uh, uh, economic financial thing to resolve. But yet public services in a 
fantastic position, highest satisfaction ratings in the NHS ever. You know, it was good stuff. So, you know, one might be in a good place, one might be in a bad place. Keir's going to inherit it with both in a bad place, and that is very, very, very unusual. Um, and that's going to constrain uh, him and what we can do. And there are things that he would wish to do and Labour would wish to do that you simply can't do when you have bad economy and flat out. I mean, Keir describes them as public service, not just on their knees, but virtually on their face now. Um, so, you know, that's hard. Um, uh, what do I think I'll see out of it? I think I'll see, uh, I will see uh, Keir restore more evidence-based policy making in government. That has gone out of fashion. Um, I, I speak to a lot of civil servants who say, you know, they, 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 they can't really present evidence to ministers because the evidence might say, you know, the obvious thing to do is to not, you know, fall out with your nearest continental neighbours. Um, uh, but they're not allowed to say that. So, um, you know, it's very hard to present the government with evidence they can act on. Keir is very driven by evidence. Um, a lot of when he's been criticised for changing position, it's because he has seen evidence that persuaded him. I think it's a very healthy thing because it's the politicians who can't change their mind in the face of evidence who you need to worry about, not the ones who can. Um, so that is definitely one of the themes. There'll be economic devolution. There'll be a focus on the right kind of growth, low carbon. There'll be a much more active state, um, you know, in partnership with private sector. There won't be an obsession about nationalisation or privatisation. It'll be much more what works and how do you regulate effectively rather than how do you, you know, obsess about ownership. So those are some of the themes I think will come through a Starmer administration. And then thinking about you personally, obviously <laughs> you've stepped out. I know we've had a conversation before this podcast. We were talking about your travel. You had a fantastic experience taking some time away from, well, I want to say full-time work, doing the kind of hours that you're doing as chief of staff to the leader of the opposition. So you've had a bit of a break there with family. What does the future look like for you? Uh, I, like, I really don't know. Um, I'm just back a few weeks from this this like amazing opportunity to travel Um you know, with, with young kids, um, kind of a midlife pause, like a midlife crisis without the actual crisis, like just a chance to to take my foot off the gas. It felt like a very, I mean, I'm sure for everyone, this, this kind of whole post-COVID period, it feels like we've all been like running harder and faster with less to show for it so often. Like it just, there seems to be a national mood of near exhaustion. I feel very privileged. I had the chance to like take a break. Sure, I worked a bit during it because, you know, you got you got to pay the bills. Um, but, it was not the sort of seven-day-a-week stuff of of of, of chief of staffing. Um, as for what next, I, you know, I'm still I'm in the exploring phase. You know, like I'm late forties. I've got another couple of decades of good work ahead of me. Um, but I'm not going to rush into a thing. I'm quite enjoying being my own boss and doing interesting project work that comes my way. But there'll be a moment of crystallisation where I think, yeah, that's it. That's what I'm going after next, uh, and I'll do that. And now my favourite question to ask people on this podcast, I know you've mentioned you sort of set your sights on chief of staff to the leader of the Labour Party. That's what you were after. That was your vision. But if you could be chief of staff to anyone else, past, present, future, who would you want to be chief of staff to? Okay. Um, I mean, there's obviously lots of great uh, uh, people to help deliver their visions, but I'm going to go with Gandalf. Um, I think, you know, he had a very important role in... Uh, saving Middle Earth. Um, he had a lot of difficult stakeholders to manage. Uh, he probably could have done with more um, support in turning that vision into an executable plan um, with less, you know, riding away and becoming Gandalf the White and things like that. That felt like, you know, he, he wasted a lot of time. I love it. I hope you can see why this is my favourite question to ask people. 
Sam, thank you so much for your time. There have been so many insights from political life, from non-political life that individuals can take forward, um, whether they're looking at stepping into a chief of staff role, whether they're trying to perform at the highest level, or I can imagine as well, if they are just generally interested in how does it work to be a chief of staff to someone like Keir Starmer. So thank you so much for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. Great fun. This podcast was brought to you by the Chief of Staff Association, the global professional body for chiefs of staff in corporations, not-for-profits, government and the military. Applications to join our latest cohort of members are now open. Membership provides you access to our world-leading Chief of Staff core competency program, career-defining mentorship, and the opportunity to join our executive education programs at the University of Oxford and Harvard Business School. To learn more, go to www.csa.org. This podcast was hosted by Ewan Godbold with music composed by Ed Cooper.